my uh, privilege to bring the scripture reading tonight. Uh, the reading is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34, and it's on page 890 in the Church Bibles. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of both God and money. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Look how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Uh, my name is Steve. If we haven't met, it's uh, terrific to be here. Normally you'll find me uh, at church here on a Saturday night, uh, but I am... Uh, really pleased to be here with you tonight to look at this tremendous passage uh, from Matthew chapter 6. Please keep it open uh, tonight because we're going to be spending uh, a little bit of time there hearing what God has to say. I'd like to share with you a story, and it's a story about a farmer. This farmer one day bounds joyfully into his kitchen where his wife is waiting for him to announce some good news. Their prized cow has had two baby cows. And the farmer is just overwhelmed uh, with joy. And he is impulsively wanting to dedicate one of these cows to the Lord. And so he says to his wife, here's what we'll do. We will uh, raise these cows together, the white one and the brown one. And when they get to the right age, we'll take them off to the market. And then we'll sell them. And with the proceeds of one, we will keep, and the proceeds of the other, we will give to the Lord. 
And his wife thought this was a tremendous idea, but she wanted to know the details. So she said, which one is the Lord's cow? Is it the white one or the brown one? He said, look, there's no need to worry about that now. We'll raise them both together. When the time comes, we'll decide. Well, some months passed, uh, and the farmer returned to the kitchen and to his wife. But this time, his smile was replaced with a frown. And his wife asked him, why are you so sad? He said, I've got some bad news. The Lord's cow has died. And it's a tremendous example, I think, of what it looks like so often in our lives that it is the Lord's cow that dies, that despite our good intentions to honour God with our wealth, when push comes to shove, heavenly priorities, priorities from God are shafted for earthly ones. But in this passage we look at tonight, we get a different perspective on treasure, on wealth. And Jesus reminds us what that perspective ought to be and the blessings that are found in investing not in this world, but in eternity. So let me pray for us now uh, that God would speak to us from his word as he promises he will. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we are your people and you are our God. And we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from you. Uh, We long to hear from you, to be taught by you, in order to live your way, your way which is best. Father, we pray that you would teach us your way tonight for our good and for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, please do keep your Bibles open. We're going to focus on verses 19 to 24 tonight. And the first point for this evening is this. Use your treasure, uh, use your wealth to collect treasure in heaven. That's the point of verse 19 and 20. Have a look. Jesus says, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. And as we read this, one big question is raised. What are you doing with your treasure? What are you using your wealth to collect? And let's be clear right up front. Jesus is not against wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Remember, it is the Lord your God who gives you the power to gain wealth. The ability to gain wealth, to make money, is a gift of God. It comes from God. It's not a bad thing. But we must also hear clearly that God is very concerned with what this wealth given to us by God, is used to collect. And there are two options. And Jesus makes it very clear the first option is the foolish option. He says, verse 19, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Well, moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. It makes sense, doesn't it, not to collect these treasures, not to pour yourself into these treasures, because they do not last and they cannot be secured. It is a bad investment to invest in this kind of treasure. 
Now, suppose I come to you and I offer you right now $1,000 to spend on whatever it is that you would like to spend it on. It's not a bad deal. But suppose I give you a choice instead. And I say you can either have that $1,000 today or you can have $10 million one year from now and then $10 million one year after that and the year after that and the year after that. Only a fool would take that $1,000 now. And yet that's what we do when we grab onto something that will only last for a moment, whose value is limited, and forego something that is far more valuable that we could enjoy later and much longer. And this is the perspective that Jesus gives us He reminds us that as his followers, we are now part of an eternal kingdom. He died for us to buy us as his treasured possession. And we have been adopted into his family. And our home is not earth. It is a heavenly home. We are part of an eternal kingdom. And there is something far greater and far more valuable to grab hold of than earthly treasures. This is the perspective that Jesus brings to his people. And what's more valuable? What's worth grabbing hold of? Heavenly treasures. That's what you want to get. Heavenly treasures that are waiting for us with our Father in heaven, stored up there for us when we get home. That's what Jesus is urging us to do in verse 20. Collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, Moth and rust don't destroy them. Thieves don't break in and steal them. They cannot be touched. They are safe. Now, heavenly treasures is a, uh, a concept that perhaps the original hearers of these words from Jesus were more familiar with than we might be. The rabbis uh, used to tell a story about heavenly treasures that illustrated this concept. The story was about a king called Monobaz. And King Monobaz inherited tremendous wealth from his forefathers, the previous kings. But during the time of his reign, he gave all of that wealth away to the poor and the needy and the suffering and the afflicted. And his brothers came to him and they said, your fathers gathered treasure and they added to that treasure and added to that treasure, but you've given all your treasure away. Why? And I love his response. Listen to this. He said to his brothers, My father's gathered treasures for below. I have gathered treasures for above. They stored treasures in a place where the hand of man can rule. I have stored treasures in a place where the hand of man cannot rule. My father's collected treasures which bear no interest. I have collected treasures which bear eternal interest. My fathers gathered treasures of money. I have gathered treasures of souls. My fathers gathered treasures in this world. I have gathered treasures in the world to come. It's a wonderful response, isn't it? That is driven out of a true understanding of where home really is. And it is so different Such a different perspective to the worldly wisdom that bombards us every day, that cries out and says, this is it. 
This is all there is. Live for now before it's too late. Financial planners are a little bit more sober-minded, and they take it a little further. They say, well, don't live for now. Think 20, 30, 40 years ahead, and think about what your investment will do in that time. But Jesus, the ultimate financial advisor, has a very different perspective. And he says, don't ask what your investment will do in 30 years' time. Ask what it will do in 30 million years' time. How will your investment be paying off then? Christian, what kind of investments are you making today? Are they eternal investments? How will they be paying off, not just in 30 years' time, but in 30 million years' time? Is your money being poured into people and ministries that by God's grace will impact lives, not just for this world, but in the world to come? People whose lives are being transformed as they hear the gospel and move from life to death and will come to experience a joy in Jesus that is eternal and indescribable. Is that the kind of treasure that you're investing in? Friends, the treasure that we store up in heaven now cannot be spoiled, cannot be damaged, cannot be destroyed, it cannot be taken away. What is given to God is safe. And your reward will be waiting for you. One day, you'll get home and you'll see your father and you'll say, it's all here, just like I promised. Here is your reward. You will not be disappointed. And no one, no one will regret investing in heavenly treasure. No one. I'm so thankful to God for this passage that gives us a reality check, a check we get nowhere else of what is truly worth investing our treasure in, things that will have an eternal impact. Jesus spoke a lot about money. He was more comfortable talking about money perhaps than we are makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes talking about money. But I've come to see in looking at these words from Jesus that he talks about money and our attitude towards money, not because he wants us to feel uncomfortable or guilty or because he wants to restrict our joy, but exactly the opposite. He wants to increase it. Jesus knows how to get joy from using money. And this is what he is telling us. There is a way to spend that increases our joy, and that is investing in things that last. But Jesus knows us well, and he knows how easily we are distracted from reality, how easy it is to be distracted from this eternal perspective. And in his kindness, he reminds us and he warns us. And so in this passage in the verses Uh, that follow, Jesus gives us two checks to help us maintain this right perspective on our wealth. And the first point, the first check is this. Check your heart. It's there in verse 21. Jesus says, 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying here is your heart and your treasure are completely inseparable. They always go together. Your heart is just the center of your being, the place from which all of your actions and thoughts and motivations flow. And what you put your money in, your heart is also invested in. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you buy shares, for example, in Telstra, suddenly you start noticing articles in the paper about Telstra that you had never seen before. You've taken on an interest in this company that never previously existed. And when you hear the stock price go down, you get sad. And when you hear the stock price go up, you get happy. What's happened? Well, you have invested your treasure and your heart has followed. Your emotions, your thoughts, your energy, your attention. Let's take another example. Let's say you have invested your treasure in missionaries in Egypt. And you discover this week that the government is terrorizing the church and the Christians there. Well, how does your heart respond? Well, you grieve and you cry and you pray fervently for the Christians in that country. And you watch the news and you wait for updates to see how they're going. Why? Because your heart has followed your treasure. They cannot be separated. And so Jesus wants us to keep examining our hearts because if we follow back what our hearts are desiring, we will ultimately see what we treasure. What is it that you are treasuring? Well, some questions that you could ask. Questions like, what is the concentration and the preoccupation of my life? What am I on about? You could ask yourself, what do I spend most of my time thinking about? You know, when you're sitting on the bus, nothing's really going on. What are you thinking about? You could ask the people around you, what am I always talking about? They're a good gauge. What am I always talking about? You could say, where is my energy and passion being directed? There's some more questions on the newsletter that you might like to take home and ponder. But Jesus is saying, wherever you find your heart, you'll find your treasure. And how does that align with this eternal, heavenly perspective that I have given you? Is your heart treasuring what is truly valuable? That's the first point, check your heart. And the second point is this, check your master. It's a very famous verse from Jesus in verse 24. Please take a look. Jesus says, no one can be a slave of two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. Jesus is so blunt. He's always blunt like this, isn't he? He gets straight to the point. You cannot serve both God and money. It's not that it's difficult to do or it's challenging to do. It's that it is not possible to do both of these things. And the reason? Because as masters, both money and God want your full-time allegiance. They want all of you all the time. And both of them can't have you. And so you have to have a, make a choice which one you will serve. 
It is impossible to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength and love money because God has called for all of you. But here's the the question I've been wrestling with and asking people this week as I've been preparing. How do you know if you love money? How do you know if that's you, if you've started to love money instead of God? It's very subtle, isn't it? Money's very deceptive. It's very hard to discern in your heart if you are greedy or covetous. Other sins, other struggles can be much more obvious. You know if you're an adulterer, but how do you know if you're greedy? How do you know if you love money? Well, I think there's perhaps one check that you can make. And it's this. How willing are you to give your money away for God's purposes? How do you know what has mastered your life? Is it money or is it God? Well, how willing are you to give it away? If you're not that willing, perhaps money has got a strong hold on your life. Our willingness to to give will be an indicator of what has truly mastered our hearts, money or God. And in God's kindness, in his love for us, he doesn't want us to be mastered by a cruel master like money. He wants to free us to serve him, to enjoy treasure eternal. And so let me share with you one simple principle to release you from the mastery of money, to love God and to serve him wholeheartedly. And the principle is this, give to God first. Give to God first. Here's how it works. When money has mastered you, you live first and you give to God with whatever it is that you've got left over. So your giving is really just a function of your leftovers. You do all the things that you want to do in your life, and then you say to God, I've got a few dollars left over. You can have these, see what you can do with that. But when God is our master, we give first. We give to God. And then we live with whatever it is that we've got left over. Do you see the difference between how you give when God is master? It's, it's a core principle that's repeated throughout the Bible. Give cheerfully And give to God first. Give to God first. God is not worthy of our leftovers. He's worthy of our best. He's worthy of our first. God did not give us leftovers. God gave us everything. Jesus didn't give us a bit of his blood. He gave us all of it. And this is what God is worthy of. It's a principle that my wife and I have sought to pursue And I thought that I would share with you a little bit of what this looks like in practice for us to strive to collect heavenly treasures and forsake earthly treasures. Now, let me say a few things beforehand. I don't share this with you because it's the only way you can give. I don't share this with you because we've got it all worked out, because we haven't. I don't share this with you because we are people 
who are just exceptionally generous, and you should just look at what we're doing and do exactly what we're doing, because that is not the case either. Now, I share with you by way of example, because others have shared their example with us of what it looks like to live generously and for this heavenly kingdom. And we've found it really helpful. Yet we do this in lots of ways, don't we, in the Christian life? You know, it's, it's really helpful when people don't just say, you should have a quiet time every day with God. But they say, this is how I do it. This is how I read the Bible and how I pray. And it's really helpful for us when people don't just encourage us to be Christian parents and to say, well, you should raise your children to know the Lord. But they say, this is how we do it. This is how we do discipline. This is um, how we read the Bible with our kids. It's really helpful for us when people put it in practice. They don't just say, you should honor the Lord in your workplace. But they say, this is what it looks like for me to put God first at work. They make it concrete. And this is what people have done for me. And no one's perfect. But examples and models can really help us and get us on the right path to the Christ- living the Christian life. But friends, I also want to share with you because I want you to have joy. I want you to know the joy of investing in heavenly treasure and to be freed from investing in treasure that spoils and fades. I want you to have this. So I want to help you to start doing this if you're not doing it already. So this is what it looks like for us. Firstly, we work out what our income is. We work out how much uh, it is that's coming into the bank account, and before we do anything else, we set aside a portion. We say, God, this is yours. This is yours. And with that first portion, we give the bulk of our stuff away. We give 12% to Church by the Bridge because it's our family, and we love our family here, and we believe in what this church is doing, and we want to support it and invest in it and help more people through this church to know about the Lord Jesus and be changed for eternity. And so the majority of our giving goes here. But then we support other causes. We support a little boy, Max, in Haiti through compassion. And we have mission partners uh, around uh, Australia who are enabled by our giving and the giving of others to tell people about Jesus and see lives transformed. And then beyond that, we look for other opportunities to be generous. Now, after preparing this sermon, I've read many stories about generous Christians. And it's a large part of me that's embarrassed at sharing with you now how we give. Because I've seen some tremendous examples of generosity. And we're really just learning what this generous thing is about. But I encourage you to come and start doing it as well. This is how we do it. We give first. No, we don't give We invest. We invest first, and then we live with what's left over. Now, I'm not going to pretend giving like this and living like this uh, means that when we get to the rest of our budget and work out how we're going to live, there are some questions that need to be asked. There are things that we would like to do that we are not able to do because of the giving decisions that we have made. There's a sacrifice that is involved. There are earthly things that we miss out on. And as we look over our budget, we are caused to stop and reflect. And there's a point, in, well, in my mind at least, when I think about all that's been given away, I think of all the earthly treasures that I could 
accumulate and enjoy if I just didn't give that money away. And no one would notice, would they? Oh, but God is kind. And he graciously reminds me that everything I have is his. He's just given it to me to manage, to look after. And God reminds me that money is not my master. God is. And God reminds me that earth is not my home. Heaven is. And God reminds me that treasures, things built up here do not last. But what is put into eternity cannot be taken away. And motivated by God's grace and powered on by God's grace, we are striving not to invest in this life, but to collect heavenly treasure. And brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to do the same. Not to invest in this earth which is passing, but to invest in eternity. Let me conclude with a story. It's a story of the Christians in the Decian persecution in Rome. And at this time, the Romans broke into a church thinking they could loot the church of all its treasure. And the Roman who was in charge, the prefect, went up to one of the Christians in that church, Laurentius. And he said, Laurentius, take me to all of your treasure. It's beautiful. Laurentius pointed to a group of orphans and widows who were eating a meal. And he said, these are the treasures of the church. We have invested everything we have in them. He collected heavenly treasure, the lives of souls, changed for eternity. Brothers and sisters, that is treasure worth collecting. Let me pray. Our heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us into your kingdom, a kingdom that does not perish, that does not fade for this inheritance that has been kept in heaven for us. Now, Father, we look forward to coming to meet you, to being with you forever, and the joy, unspeakable, unimaginable joy we will have by being in your presence. We thank you for your kindness in showing us what real treasure looks like, what wise investment looks like, knowing that this earth is not our home. And by your grace, we pray you would free us from the power of money which so easily deceives us and free us to invest in what is eternal, to collect treasures in heaven. Amen.